Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around them. You know, every now and then when the media is uh, talking about the public perception of a, of a politician, they'll say that he or she is a rock star. They call them a rock star among voters. And uh, it simply means that uh, whenever this person takes the stage, there's a lot of uh, adulation, excitement, and cheering coming from the crowd. But do you know what the most accurate job description for a politician is supposed to be? Public servant. Public servant. You know, we don't hear that term as often today as we used to in years past. The media much prefers rock star, but that's what a politician is really supposed to be, a public servant. I've also heard the media use that term rock star when it talks about mega church pastors at times. The ones who have achieved celebrity status. And again, this is not really a a flattering term at all. I can't imagine that a pastor could be comfortable in the role of celebrity. And yet, I know some of them are. The problem is that, that people, the masses, are drawn to celebrity. The public clamors to know all about the lives of the rich and famous. And, and if they should be embroiled in some kind of scandal, all the better. We love famous people, and we love for famous people to act like famous people. We live in a culture that worships celebrity. And all of, the, of all the ill-advised things to worship, this should be at the top of our list. Whether it's in politics, sports, business, but especially in ministry. You know, our fascination as a, as a nation with fame distorts our perception of what greatness really is. And it distorts our perception of, of what kind of person we should admire and what kind of a person we should aspire to be. We're in the second week of a little series I've entitled Rediscovering Jesus. We're looking at the history's most fascinating character, who he was what he did, what he was like, what he came to do, and what he expects of us, those who follow him today. You know, Jesus came to this earth to show us what a relationship with God could could be like. And our objective is not only to know him, but become like him. You see, that's what this series is all about. And today's message just uh, highlights one aspect of Christ's character that every Christian can imitate, that every Christian can apply to his or her life. You know, there are many things about Christ that, frankly, you're never going to duplicate. I don't know of anyone who is preexistent. You didn't create the universe, and you can't die for the sins of this world. And I doubt that many of you are going to wind up walking on water any time in your life. And it goes on and on. But there is one aspect of Christ's character that you can fully and completely imitate. In this, 
you can be just like Jesus. Now, if anyone deserved the rock star treatment, it was Jesus Christ. If anyone deserved to be treated like a celebrity, waited on hand and foot, it was Jesus. But you see, that's not what happened. John says this in John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, But although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. You know, he could have demanded the royal treatment. He could have lived like royalty during his time here on earth. But he didn't. Why? Because he came instead to show us what true greatness is really like. What it looks like. What true greatness truly is. What, what true greatness does. You know, when we look to Jesus... We not only lose our fascination with celebrity, but we also get an idea of what our lives should look like. In the final hours of Jesus' life, he said this to his disciples in in Luke chapter 22, verse 27. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Obviously, but listen to what he goes on to say. But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus said, I am here, and I'm the one who serves. And he also said this in Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus' ministry, and I want you to get this down, Jesus' ministry on earth was a ministry of humble service. His entire ministry while he was here on this earth was a ministry of humble service. During this time of approximately three years, his disciples witnessed some amazing events, more miracles than they could possibly count. People healed of every type of affliction, including at least two people who were raised from the dead. They saw the forces of nature obey the command of his voice. The demons treble, tremble when they heard his name. They heard him teach as, with authority that no one else ever had. And they saw the power of God at work through his life. There was nothing about Jesus that was weak or timid. And yet in the midst of all of this power, there was an underlying attitude of humble service in his ministry to others. You see, that's what drove him, and that's what defined him. And so today, I want us to look very quickly at three events in Jesus' life that reflect this attitude of humble service. And the first is something that we're all familiar with, the circumstances of his birth. We, we know all about that. The Christmas story shows us that from the very beginning, Jesus' life was all about humility. You see, he could have announced his birth to King Herod or to the religious leaders there in Jerusalem or to Caesar Augustus, emperor of Rome. He could have announced his birth to the greatest of the great. And he could have persuaded them that it was in their best interest to treat him well. But that's not what he did. Instead, to whom did he announce his birth? First, to a young teenage girl who was about to get married, and then to her bewildered fiancé, and then to some priests of another religion, astronomers who had traveled for months trying to find him, and then to a group of nomadic sheepherders, minimum wage workers on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. 
And where was this king of kings born? Not in the palace, but in a stable. Not surrounded by servants and staff, but surrounded by barnyard animals. You see, the circumstances of his birth tell us that there was nothing pretentious about Jesus. No sense of entitlement. No expectation of special treatment. Instead, we see an attitude that says, what's good enough for these people of simple means is good enough for me. What's good enough for just the average person out there is good enough for me. You see, if anyone had the right to say, this day is all about me and I'm going to make the most of it, Jesus had the right. But that simply isn't his way. The circumstances of his birth also tell us that Jesus is not easily impressed with power and prestige. He didn't seek the the approval of the elite. He chose instead to, to use a young peasant girl and a working class carpenter, Persian priests and simple shepherds because these people, the ones, the ones whom society often overlooks and whom history most likely will forget, these people matter to him. In the circumstances of his birth, we can learn a lesson. And the lesson is simply this. God has called each and every one of us on this earth to live in the context of our own situation, to live a common life with those around us. No sense of entitlement, no expectation of special treatment, no chasing after prestige. When you demand that people give you special treatment, you're demanding something that even Jesus didn't demand. You see, his attitude was this. What's good enough for those of simple means is good enough for me. And friends, that should be our attitude as well. The second event from Jesus' life is actually something that happened several times. And we're going to look at a a couple of examples of his low-key approach to to public recognition. It's amazing. In Matthew 8, a, a leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched that man. By the way, this in and of itself tells us volumes about Jesus. For we know that lepers were the untouchables, the HIV victims, so to speak, of first century Jewish culture. And yet he reached out his hand and physically touched that man. And as he touched him, he said, I'm willing, be clean. And then Jesus said something that just kind of leaves a lot of people confused. See that you don't tell anyone. He said, make sure you don't tell anyone what I just did. In the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus restored the sight sight to two blind men. And then the Bible says in Matthew 9.30, Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. And then you go over to the Gospel of Mark, Mark 7. And Jesus healed a man who could neither hear nor speak. The man came to Jesus in a crowd, but Jesus didn't leave him in the crowd. He took him aside all by himself where he could be up close and personal. No one else around at that point. And he healed the man so that he was able to hear and speak. And then the Bible says in Mark chapter 7, verse 36, Jesus commanded him, not to tell anyone. 
We see this again and again and again in the Gospels. Jesus performs a miracle and then basically says, don't tell anyone about it. Now, why would he tell them not to tell anyone? Well, the truth is, the Bible never really tells us. The Bible only says that he did say that. We can speculate as to why, but there is one thing for sure, and here's what I want you to see. Jesus had no interest in using people to promote his ministry. Jesus had no interest in using people to promote his, in, his ministry. Can you imagine a celebrity preacher or a celebrity pol, politician today doing something extremely good for someone and, and not using it to further his agenda? I mean, we've developed this idea in our society that it's all about the buzz that you can create for yourself. I mean, if you want to be successful in any endeavor, then you need to tap into the power of social media. You need to get it on YouTube immediately. Let everyone see all the good things that you're doing so that even more people will get on board and more people will buy into your venture and more people will spread the news and just keep expanding. This way, every good deed becomes an investment in public relationships. You see, we may have spent $10,000 helping these people, but think of the windfall that we, we reaped in PR. But when Jesus healed a hurting person, he made it clear to them, I'm not using you to promote my ministry. I'm not doing this for positive PR. I'm not doing it for the crowds that will draw or for the fame that's going to come my way. I don't want you to be my walking billboard. I'm doing this because I care about you. You matter. And that's all that matters. And you know, the lesson that we can learn from Jesus' attitude towards self-promotion is this. We do good for others, not because of any benefit that may come back our way, but simply because the other person is worth it, whether we get any recognition or not. I want us to look at the third event in Jesus' life where we see that his personal needs took second place to his purpose in life. His personal needs took second place to his purpose in life. In Luke chapter 9, a, a man came to Jesus and he tells him that he will, is willing to follow him anywhere that he goes. And Jesus simply says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said this, first of all, so that the man would know that following him does come with a price. The life of a follower is not always just an easy ride. But in saying this, Jesus also tells us something about himself. He's telling us that as far as he is concerned, his life is more about the ministry that he's called to than it's about creating comfort for himself. In his ministry years, Jesus was an itinerant rabbi. You see, he wasn't homeless. He could always go back to his mother's home, Mary. But on the road, he was there all the time. And, and it was a life not without hardship. But for Jesus, the hardship was absolutely worth it. 
He was willing to spend time traveling from this town to that town to this other town, sometimes sleeping under the stars because he was fulfilling his purpose on earth. And for Jesus, fulfilling his purpose was more important than living in comfort. There's a great story in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, in which Jesus and the disciples are traveling through Samaria. They stopped at a well, and the Bible says that Jesus was tired, so he sent his disciples into town to buy some food. And while he was there at the well, he had a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and it resulted in her salvation. Well, the disciples arrived back with their food, and they asked Jesus to eat. But he responded, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, of course, most of the time they were clueless anyway, but this time they really didn't know what he was talking about. So he explained it to them. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, what builds me up and strengthens me, is to do the will of God the Father who sent me. And to finish his work. It was like he was saying to his disciples, I just had this amazing conversation with this woman from Samaria. And she experienced a a complete life transformation. She's learning now how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And she's telling everyone what happened. I mean, who can think about eating at a time like this? You see, we see in the Gospels that Jesus' top priority was not looking after his own needs or seeking his own comfort. His top priority was, above everything else, to do what the Father had commanded him. To fulfill his purpose on earth by serving the needs of others. We see this again at the end of Jesus' life, right before he went to the cross, When he was in that upper room with the disciples and he took that towel, a bowl of water, and he washes the disciples' feet. The Bible said that he did this to show them the full extent of his love for them. Here's a lesson that we can all learn from Jesus' attitude. Every one of us, I don't care who you are, what your age, what your background, God has given you a purpose in life. And it involves much more than just seeking a comfortable life for yourself. In fact, when you're fully engaged in pursuing God's purpose, your own needs take second place. Your greatest satisfaction comes from the good that you do. You see, if anyone had the right to say, it's all about me, Jesus had that right. If anyone had the the right to demand his own way and say, do you know who you're talking to? Jesus had that right. If anyone had the right to demand preferential treatment, Jesus had the right. Yes, he had the right, but no, he never used that right. Instead of seeking comfort and fame for himself, he chose a life of sacrificial service to others. In fact, his, his attitude can be wrapped up in this. What's good enough for everyone else is good enough for me. I'm here to minister to others, not to further my fame. Living out my life purpose is more important than living in comfort. You see, 
there are many things about Jesus that are far beyond our ability to imitate, but taking on the attitude of a humble servant, that's something that each and every one of us can do. Jesus came to show us what true greatness is, and he also came to be a humble servant. And here's the amazing thing. It turns out they're the same thing. You see, true greatness is being a humble servant. If you want to be great, Jesus said, learn to be the servant of all. You will never be more like Jesus than when you're serving others. And the truth is, every one of you can start being great today. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. To leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he took off his outer robe, and he took a towel and wrapped it around himself. And then he took a, a pitcher of water and a bowl, and he moved out. You see, in that day, in that culture, when people came into a house, they all wore sandals. They all wore Birkenstocks. That's just the way it was in that day. And their feet were always dirty. And so they would clean them before they would walk on any rugs or anything. And you know, almost every home had a, a servant who was the lowest man on the rung. And he was a guy who washed feet. That night, no one had washed feet. And I imagine when they were sitting around the table, they were asking each other, Hey, what's going on here? No one washed our feet, but they didn't say anything. And then, whoa, Jesus gets up, and he walks over. And he fills the bowl with water. And then he gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. See, it's hard to happen to, isn't it? But you know, something happened there that we need to be aware of. We're the most like Jesus when we're serving others. But do you know what that posture is when we serve others? It's on our knees. You see, you serve people much better when you're looking at them eye to eye. You can serve people when you're looking down at them, and you can still feel pretty good about yourself and have a lot of pride. But when you get on your knees to people, you're looking them in the eye. Some churches, some groups have taken this whole concept of washing feet and made it into a sacrament, as if that's a really hard thing to do. But you know, you can wash people's feet, and they can have stinky feet. And you can just hold your nose. How many of you can think of something you would much rather not do than wash someone's feet? 
And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, and if you're going to be great in the kingdom, then you need to be willing to wash that person's feet. In other words, whoever is your neighbor, you need to be willing to do whatever it takes to meet their need to draw them to a, an understanding of Jesus Christ. You know, I, when they asked me to come and fill in here at the church, it's, it, it's interesting. A number of people said, oh, Larry, that's a great church. It's a great church. I knew exactly what they were talking about. They'd done a lot of work in missions. They'd done all kinds of things financially. They have a lot of talented people and everything. But you know, there are a whole lot of churches like that out there. I want to challenge you to be a great church and become a church of servants. People who are willing to get on your knees to meet people where they are and look them in the eyes. And like Jesus, be willing to reach out and touch. Father, we come before you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we come before you with no pride, no sense of entitlement, because we love you. And we do understand the ministry that you've called us to. It's a ministry of humble service. So I pray that you would just bless each and every one here and help us to become great in your kingdom and servants of one another. Help us to begin to apply that attitude even before we get out of the sanctuary today. And as we fellowship with one another And this week at work, at school, wherever we may be, help us to be people who are known for being humble servants of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen.